The presenting sponsor of Moon Tower Soccer is FVF Law. To find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm, you can visit FVF.law. Thanks for listening to Moon Tower Soccer. This week, we're going to review the heartbreaking 2-1 loss in Vancouver. We'll also preview this week's trip to Houston to play the Dynamo again, and then we'll cover some other Austin FC news. My name's Landon Cottom, and I'm joined, as always, by Mr. Jeremiah Bentley. Hey, everybody. I'm Jeremiah Bentley, and I am joined again by a Chris, but a different Chris than the last one. We're joined by the striker's own Chris Bills. How you doing, Chris? I'm great. Uh, coming off of a great trip to to BC for me, not so much for Austin FC, but uh, you know, you take what you can get. And uh, I wasn't going to pass up a chance to to take a little vacation time in one of my favorite slices of the world. So um, yeah, I had a great trip to Vancouver. <laughs> I'm not sure that uh, everybody else in, in Verde or, or from Austin uh, did. So uh, apologies for my jolly tone on this podcast, but uh, <laughs> I enjoyed the fresh air. Well, we'll probably enjoy your company more than we would have if we had Josh Wolf or somebody else on. So I'm glad I'm glad glad to have you here to, to yeah, lighten the mood. The border agent I can't, I got coming back in uh, claimed that he was he was uh, there. I believe him because uh, you know who else knows uh, you know about Austin FC. But he was like, uh, yeah, they they came through last night, and uh, I tried to joke with him about Salt Lake, and I was like, why do you know Salt Lake? He's like, I'm from Corpus Christi. I went to UT, and he's like. Um, you know, he, he's like, yeah, I tried to joke with him about Salt Lake, but the coach was like, they're not getting nothing. So I don't know <laughs> if that was, I don't know if that was a true story or not, but, uh, I, I decided to go ahead and tweet it anyway. So, all right. Well, we, you wrote a, a couple of really good articles since that game. And so we thought it'd be a good idea to, to have you on, to kind of break down the game with us. Cause I think a lot of, a lot of the stuff you wrote hit the nail on the head. And so, uh, yeah, let's, let's jump into it. So leading up to the game, we knew that the team traveled, they, they had training on Thursday morning and then traveled Thursday afternoon. And we're going to be in Vancouver Friday and Saturday. And so uh, Thursday, I think it was Thursday evening, some people online are talking about, oh, Danny Pereira is streaming video games on Twitch right now. And it's like, oh, I guess he's not in Vancouver. And then, um, yeah, come game time, lineup comes out and he's not even on the roster. So did you, were you able to get any information on that, Chris? I actually did not uh, end up asking Josh Wolf in the post game. There was just so much that happened during the match and we didn't get him for, for very long. So unfortunately I don't have much insight into that, but I mean, as far as we know, he's not on, he wasn't on the injury report. Right. And from my vantage point, I guess, um, you know, maybe it won't satisfy everybody, but I do feel like it made sense. It made sense to me that if you're not going to start him, which I felt like in some sense was the right move because, uh, he struggled last match. Like, let's be honest, he struggled against FC Dallas. And I think he struggled a bit in that number six role. And if you're going to take somebody out and, and put Pochettino in, I think it made sense to not start Danny Pereira. And let's think about how the season's gone for him because he's, you know, this is his first time in a professional setting, his first time playing a nine month, 10 month season. And uh, he's had an injury injury problems. So it's the longest road trip of the season. They're playing on turf. Uh, some of the worst turf in the league, by, by the way, at, at BC place. And um, if you're not going to start him, you know, why, why are you going to fly him in for, for a 30 minute or a 10 minute performance? I mean, I guess we can sort of argue about whether he would have been useful 
in some of the moments that they had uh, in Vancouver, but I think it did make sense to get him off his feet, let him play some video games and, and come back into training fresh for, for Houston. Uh, that's just my take on things. I, I, I agree with all of that. I think Wolf still would have liked to have had him available in case of emergency. I, my guess was that it was something to do with uh, his visa. Just oh, that's an that's an interesting thought. I hadn't even. I, I would even imagine that. his visa status is different than a lot of these guys mm. because a lot of these guys, like the international ones who came straight to Austin from another country, they're coming here to work essentially, like to do that job. Right. And so like their yeah. visa status would be tied around their job. Whereas Danny Pereira already had some sort of visa status before then. And I think he, I, I think I read that he came as like, um, uh, like an asylum seeker essentially. Yeah. And so yeah. No, he, he I was guessing maybe it had true. something to I do think with that, that. That he's getting closer to getting American citizenship. But as far as we know, that hasn't happened yet. So that's, uh, that's pretty astute from you. That's why, that's why I listen to Moon Tower Soccer. So and that's, that's why Moon Tower Soccer is part of the striker. So I can say that, uh, oh yeah, the striker said that. Yeah, that was, that was us. Yeah. <laughs> um, so other stuff going on with, uh, with the lineup, I think a lot of fans were kind of playing in their head with the idea of like, how do we get this set of players, like essentially our best attacking players, how do we get them on the field at the same time? Where should we play Alex Ring? Is Should we move him back to the six? Should we play him at the eight? During all of this, I pretty much completely forgot that Diego Fagundes spent the first part of the season playing centrally. And it was just like in my head, like Diego Fagundes plays on the wing. That's where he plays. And so when the lineup came out, it's like, I don't think he even said it in the lineup because they didn't put it in order. But whenever they went onto the yeah. field, it became. I was kind of thinking that that's Pochettino a fun part. Would be at the eight. Honestly, I enjoy the the lineup uh, releases from Austin <laughs> FC more than anything I do else I do in this job because uh, it's not very clear, right? It's. Uh, I had a funny moment when I went to do the pregame show with the. Corey Basso, who does the play-by-play for radio up in, in Vancouver, invited me on to do to do um, their pregame show, and I think they were pretty assured that it was going to be a a four-one-four-one, and Opta had it as a four-two-three-one, but not in the personnel that that Josh ended up running out. So it was With like Julio Cascante at the ten. Nah, yeah, something like <laughs> not that. that yeah, one. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's like. I, I kind of feel smart sometimes when really it's just, I followed this team, you know, yeah. every day in and day out. So it's, it's kind of, it's kind of fun to, to have those moments when the lineup comes out and be like, no, this, this is actually what I think is going to happen. Uh, and usually we get close, but uh, it's kind of fun to see the different concoctions that Josh yeah. can come up with. I was, I was guessing it was going to be Pochettino at the eight and with Diego wide, right. Yeah. And then, we, I think at the the very start of it, maybe we didn't have the ball for very long. And the moment that I felt smart by noticing that that wasn't happening, it wasn't when we had the ball, but it was in defense when Pochettino was out wide right on the wing. Well, yeah, it was. And I was like, that's always the spot that the winger defends in. I think in defense and 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 maybe even in the press, I thought it was more of almost a four four two because Jerusi was yeah. going up with with uh, Cecilio, and then when they dropped in, it was more of a. Uh, would you guys have it as a four two three one? I would uh, say four two three one. Yeah, with yeah. Diego Diego dropping in beside ring a lot of times mm-hmm. in build up. Yeah, no, I, and and I thought it worked. Right, uh, we can get into yeah. that a little bit. I thought it worked for the, <laughs> for the first sixty minutes. 
<laughs> yeah. Um, and talking about the defense there, like Josh Wolf had some comments last week talking about the press and I, I, I watching the press in the last few games, especially against Dallas, it worked for a little bit, but after a bit, Dallas just started shredding our mm. press apart. And we're passing right through it. And my observation was that the midfielders weren't getting to certain places on time to cut off stuff. Wolf made some comments in the press conference saying that there were times the forwards were going when they weren't supposed to be. And so I was kind of putting blame on the midfielders and he was essentially saying like, well, no, I, it, I think maybe my guess is Cecilio just took off running and pressing when he wasn't necessarily supposed to, or was the wrong trigger. And so the midfielders were like, Oh crap, I guess we have to go now too. And not getting there in time. But uh, it seemed like in this game, they were sat back, like happy to sit back a little bit deeper and let Vancouver come to them as opposed to trying to press them really hard. Yeah. And uh, you know, Jeremy, I don't know if you want to jump on the back of this, but I've been really impressed with Sebastian Derussi in, in the press and and how hard he plays and how hard he works. And um, you know, sometimes I feel like he's almost waving the guys with him, right? Like we need to play this hard. And, and I think that's what you want from your star player, your, your DP, your high dollar, um, you know, number 10 is, is that he's not only willing to, uh, you know, make the the money plays and, and score the goals like he did in this one, but uh, he's willing to do, to do the work. And, and um, I think that that's going to pull off the rest of the group with him, but you know, we haven't quite seen it yet, I guess. Yeah. There's so much that goes into that. I felt like that a lot in the second half in Dallas, that, that, that him being all over the field, you know, backwards and forwards and sort of urging people on was one of the things that really helped him um, rally in a way for sure. And with him, it always seems like a, a controlled and intentional thing with like Cecilio works pretty hard, but it just, it doesn't always seem like he knows exactly where he's going. He just, I'm going to run really hard right now and try to get to this guy. Driussi, it seems very calculated. Almost every movement he makes, he knows exactly where he's going and what's going to happen when he gets there, which has been a lot of fun to watch. All right, let's jump in to the game itself. So uh, to, to start off, I think the whole first half, Austin looked in complete control of this game. Um, they didn't get a goal until the 45th minute, right before the half, but I think it was seven shots in the first half uh, to... I, I saw some some places saying no shots for Vancouver in the first, and then some stats pages saying one shot in the first half. In any case, it wasn't much. And if whatever shot they did record was vague enough or on the line enough that some people didn't think it was a shot at all. I don't remember exactly what it was, but um, Austin was was doing really well. They were getting pretty good chances in in their possession, which I think has been one of the things that they haven't been able to do all season is, is turning possession into actual chances. And they were, they were doing that um, in this game. The, before we get to that goal, there was a couple of stupid little things that I noticed in the game. One of which was Diego Fagundes got that yellow card. And I think in like the seventh minute. Yeah. Early, early yellow card. And it was, and it was too. I, I could hear the shin guard smack. Uh, did, from from where I was in the press box. So, did you see the the replay of the broadcast on that, Chris? Because no, I didn't. It was, I think maybe it was still deserved, but it was the turf's fault essentially. Interesting. Okay. Diego Diego puts the brakes on essentially, and you can see in the broadcast his feet just 
slide across the turf oh, and he just shoot. smashes into him. So it was a really yeah. hard tackle. And like maybe you could still say it was reckless or whatever, but Diego did not mean to, to hit that guy. So yeah. I thought there's I think the, the turf caused a lot of I guess what this. I should say is that I felt like I was covering a high school football game because I could <laughs> hear the pads. I could hear the pads from the press box, and I haven't had that sensation in a while. Certainly not in Q2. Um, the other the other funny thing I, I noticed watching the broadcast back was uh, Adrian Healy was talking about the last game, and he said that Dirk Nowitzki scored a goal against this last game. Uh, he was <laughs> yeah. talking hell, about Jake, Jake Nowitzki. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Um, okay, let's jump to that goal though. So Sebastian Giussi scores uh, a header in the 45th minute right before the half. So it was a corner kick, gets recycled back out. Um, Pochettino ends up with the ball pushing up the right-hand side. He pokes the ball past the defender, runs around the other side. The other side, Picks yeah. up the ball again, plays the ball into the box to Cecilio. Cecilio faces up uh, the defender, chips across in, and finds Giussi's head, and he finishes it really well. So... Um, Talking about Pochettino's positioning, I feel like he looks really good on that right wing. And there's a few things I wasn't sure he would be good at or be willing to do. And he kind of did all of them. Yeah, I, I think that he's motivated right now after not starting the past two matches, um, which is something that we talked with Josh Wolf about midweek. Um, and yeah, I think that the message was sent. And then I think that Tomas Pochettino played hard on the right wing last week in the last 45 and, uh, you know, earned the start this week. And I wasn't so sure. I kind of thought the same thing as you, that, that it was that he was going to fit in next to Jerusi. And that's kind of where I've thought all along he would look the best, but he looks pretty at home on that right wing. And he does some things that, you know, I still want to see him outside the box, take a shot with his right foot. And I'm not sure those moments are really going to happen if he's out on the right wing, because obviously it's hard to end up with that moment where he can really cut in and have a shot at be on his left foot right from the wing. But his service was very good. And, and you saw it on this play and, and his creativity, um, the thought to take that move. And he had a move early in the game, too, where I think he uh, took a nice little flick out of the air and, and moved it around somebody and beat a defender. And those mm -hmm. are the kinds of things that Austin needs. I mean, if you think about positional play, one of the ways you beat players or beat teams is by, um, you know, passing through lines and things, but the other way is just by having better players than the other team does. And, and Tomas Pochettino did that. I thought for Austin FC from the right wing. So that's, that's a positive sign. And also it got all three DPs closer to gold than we've seen them all season long. And I thought that that paid dividends and, and maybe should have resulted in one or two more goals, especially in that first half when they really dominated, I thought, but um, you know, we'll see if getting Musa Jite a start and, and playing with those guys helps that, or if this is just, you know, they still need to learn how to play together, but I thought this was the best we'd, we'd seen of the three DPs working off of each other and, and being in the right spots. Yeah, Chris, I, I wanted to follow up on that because I think you wrote about that. I mean, in one of, maybe it was one of the game reports about, you know, this is the, basically the first time we'd seen the three DPs working together effectively. Um, I mean, do you see that being like a long-term key to them moving forward? I feel like this is... Uh, Every once in a while, we get this like, oh, we did this thing really well for 45 minutes. So 
this is the thing that's going to connect and turn it all around, right? Like, Alex Ring was an attack that one game, and we're like, hell yeah, we're going to play Alex Ring forward, and everything's going to be right with the world, right? And then <laughs> that failed. And so I feel like, so do you think that's like a legitimate path forward, or is this sort of just another, like we're all searching for something to hang our hat on to find some positivity out of this season? Yeah, we've had a lot of those brain, bla- brain blasts, haven't we? Is that is that from Jimmy Neutron? What was the, uh, the show? <laughs> I think so, yeah. Brain, brain blast. Yeah, but it's we've had a lot of those moments where we're like, oh, this is the answer. And I don't know, but all I know is that I had a lot of really good, like short conversations with Canadians, which is one of my favorite parts of being up in Canada is like, I'm walking out of the press box and this guy chats me up. He's like, Oh, are you from Texas? And I'm like, yeah. And then, and then I'm like, where can I get some food? And he like shows me the poutine stand and we're talking and he goes, yeah, you know, you guys have had a rough go of it. And he's like asking me what the problems have been. And I'm asking him a little bit about why Mark Dos Santos got fired. And he's like, yeah, you just really need your, your DPs to, to perform, you know? And I'm just like, yep, that's, that's pretty much it. That's pretty much the key to success in this league. If you've got a decent roster built around them. And, and, uh, I was thinking of, I, I didn't get his name, uh, but I was thinking of that guy, the moment that that goal went in, I was like, well, that's all three DPs. And, uh, they were all involved in that goal. So, um, you know, shout out to the guy walking out of the press box randomly and showing me the poutine stand because, uh, you know, he provided a nice little an- anecdote for the, uh, the game recap. I didn't, I didn't think I really put together that it was DP to DP to DP on that goal, but yeah, uh, yeah, it's to going back to what Jeremiah was saying though, that I think what went wrong in this, so like with, with ring playing him at the eight, it was still like what he was doing at the eight was still good, but the problem was him not being at the six. Yep. And so I think in this situation, like what those three DPs were doing in those spots weren't the reason we lost the game. And so I think that's at least something to to take comfort in, that it is something that could still work going forward if we fix the other stuff going on around it. That that's not it's not like a double edged sword that is going to help us and hurt us at the same time. Okay, we are going to interrupt ourselves very briefly to bring you a message from our friends at FBF Law. Moon Tower Soccer is brought to you by FBF Law, the official injury lawyers of Austin FC. FBF is a different kind of personal injury law firm dedicated to community, transparency, and client education. And so I've been following them on Instagram for a while, probably not as long as I should. And they also really seem to like each other because I see a lot of like congratulatory posts for employee of the month or like somebody's anniversary or something so they seem like real good nice people and i feel like i know them all even though we've only met them through zoom is it like is it as fun as watching the austin fc players uh tease each other on instagram is it that kind of banter is it more wholesome than it's it's yeah it's just wholesome positive you know good clean fun not quite not quite like the uh, the austin (laughs) fc stuff and jared stroud just being straight up mean to each other (laughs) yeah yeah not like that at all You can go to FVF.law to find out what makes FVF a different kind of injury law firm and why understanding your legal options can dramatically change the outcome of a case. Once again, that's FVF.law. Let's talk about hot sauce, Jeremiah. Let's talk about hot sauce. And when we talk about hot sauce, we have to talk about Teardrop Pepper Company, who has finally created the perfect recipe right here, or recipes, I guess, right here in Austin, Texas. 
Their all-natural, award-winning hot sauce has a delicious blend of flavor and heat, enhancing your favorite foods and leaving you wanting more. Whether you like the zesty kick of Golden Habanero or garlicky smoothness of Supreme Serrano, it's the best way to spice up your Austin FC pre-match meals. Or post-match meals, right, Jeremiah? I hear you have an anecdote here. Yeah, I do. So our friend and sometimes listener, Dallas Teston, uh, texted me yesterday morning to say his very late-night tacos that he made at home after watching the game and going out of the town uh, featured some Golden Habanero, and he thought it was delightful. So if you... uh, if you're making making tacos with that and enjoying it, like let us know about it. Let us know about your Teardrop Pepper experience. Teardrop Pepper Company has two unique flavors. You can order them from their website, teardroppepperco.com, or from their social media pages. And you can also find them on Sunday, September 12th at the Austin Hot Sauce Festival. They're going to have a booth there. Uh, so if you're planning on going to that festival, go by and find Teardrop Pepper Co. and try some of their stuff. If you order them online, you can use offer code GOAL. You enter that at checkout to save 10% on your order. Put it on everything. They'll make more. And here's where the tone shifts. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so halftime, we ended... uh, The stats were 7-1 to in shots. Um, possession was was pretty even, fifty two forty eight. But Vancouver. But the didn't. last thirty five minutes was. I thought Vancouver had a lot of possession early in the first half, and then Austin really controlled it uh, for the majority. So I don't know how you do that math. I mean, but but fifty two I thought was a bit low for actually how the last like at least twenty five, but really more like thirty five minutes had gone, at least from my vantage point. I think functional possession. Mm. It was. Mm-hmm. The, the higher percent is it, it was some of Vancouver's possession was a little bit swinging it around the back, like what you see Austin do. Oh, yes. Yeah, so, this but. seems very familiar all of a sudden. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So second half, um, they bring on uh, David Caicedo and I, I believe they play him up top um, and he's kind of roaming around and and causing danger there. It, I think Vancouver looked a little more dangerous, but still like nothing too crazy at the beginning of the first half is that your read on it chris so i actually this was the biggest thing i was looking for in the rewatch when i when i watched it back this morning was because that's how i felt in the moment and i was i was wondering if there was something that i've missed or had forgotten And, and there were two dangerous moments from vancouver that i think maybe put a little doubt in josh wolf said or at least made him make the move that he did. And one of them involved Debert uh, Caicedo coming down the left and Alex ring. I don't know if you remember this uh, sort of put a tackle in and, and missed and then had to put in a second tackle in and then it was dealt with and it, and, and it turned into nothing. And the second one was Ryan Gold, which, you know, if he had scored on that, that would have been the goal of the week in MLS because he, he tried to catch and I, maybe it was a cross, but it was a cross. It was totally a cross. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it, uh, Brad Stuver was lucky to get a finger to that one and it went off the crossbar and I think out for a corner, but those are the two moments that I think led to ultimately the downfall fall for Austin FC because they both came from out wide and Josh Wolf decided he need, needed some help in those areas. Yeah, so 60th minute is when 
Johan Romagna comes on for John Gallagher, who John Gallagher, I felt like had a, a decent game at that point. He was just kind of the, the sacrificial lamb. I don't feel like he was being pulled because he was having a bad game necessarily. Totally. Uh, and so they moved to a back, back three, back five, depending on the situation with uh, Romagna on the right, Cascante in the center, Beasler on the left. Yeah. And that's where I think that we all thought in the moment that it was more of a back three situation, but in the post game. And I think that if you watch it back at which I did this morning is it was a back five and he went five in the back and, and he really tried to sit back and and, um, you know, see out a result, which let's get into that a little bit because I've got some, some thoughts on that, but I want to, I want to kind of hear from you guys first on, on sort of how you processed what happened the last 30 minutes of the match. Um, let's, let's save it for a second and okay. we'll get into a deeper dis- discussion, <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, Austin goes to the mm. five at the back, essentially. Um, Vancouver starts building up some pressure, getting more chances. And I feel like the main turning point was Julio Cascante receives a backwards pass, turns and plays a back pass to Brad Stuver and just mishits it and barely touches it. And I think that leads to one of... No, no, this is a different chance than the one you're talking about, but uh, leads to a really dangerous situation where Stuver ends up having to make two saves in about five seconds. Um, That's when I feel like the wheels fell off and Austin FC was no longer anywhere near being in control of this game. I think it was ramping up to that, but in that moment, the game was gone, essentially. And that was was after Johan came on? It was three minutes after Johan came on. Okay, Okay. I just had to put those pieces together in my head, but yeah, okay. Yeah, so um, this happens, and we're going to get into what we think about the decision from Wolf. But that aside, I feel like there was some essentially some bad luck that piled onto that decision that made it a really bad situation for Austin. Mm-hmm. Matt Beasler takes a free kick shot to the head. Um, not long after that, I think in the 65th minute, somewhere along there, Beasler, I, I, I noticed in watching, I didn't see it hit him in the head, but I noticed him, standing with his like with his hands on his knees just I thought he was just gassed like he was tired but then you watch it back and about the let's see the 68th minute they stopped play to pull Beasler off mm-hmm. off of the field and I I think it was um uh Satoshi Ida who's the the head athletic trainer for Austin FC is talking to Beasler on the sideline and Beasler like looks kind of defiant and after about a five-second conversation, Ida turns and does a little substitution hand signal, like he's got to leave. He can't be on the field anymore. And I don't, I don't know if y'all have ever seen this, but in like when when I was playing high school football, if a guy got a concussion, they would steal his helmet and go like hide it from him somewhere <laughs> because guys would be like, you're like kind of delirious, and you're like, oh, I want to go, I want to be on the field, I'm going to go play. And I've seen guys like get concussions and then just sub themselves on to a football game. It's like, it's a extremely dangerous, but like B they're not making rational decisions at that point. And it kind of, I've kind of felt like Beasler was in that state of mind at that point, talking to the the official, just like the look on his face and the way he was talking. But it, it, it didn't seem like the trainer needed to talk to him for very long before he was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. He can't go back in. Um, so 
Austin FC played down a man for, I, I thought it was longer than this. It felt longer than this. It was like a minute and a half. Yeah, <laughs> it was not, play- it was not very long, but here's the thing. And, and I, I'm sure you're going here, but I, as soon as the goal went in and Freddie Kleeman was already standing on the line and I think I want to give her credit to the right person, but I don't remember who it was. Somebody tweeted at me something about like, shouldn't there be a chance to pause or, or, or whatever. And I, and it popped in the back of my head. I was like, Oh yeah, that was a rule that MLS literally instituted this year for situations like this. And so I think that's where a lot of my focus was post game was on this moment because it did change the match. I don't know that it was ultimately what decided the match. I mean, I I think that we're going to get into the, the tactical moves and all that, but I do think that Austin should have had a chance to put Freddie Kleeman in before that happened of them getting scored on with 10 men. And it's a little bit hard to parse. And I got responses from both Josh Wolf on this and uh, pro the professional referees organization who responded to a question uh, that I put to them. And, and they sort of said that, uh, you know, yeah, Austin didn't ask, asked to, th- to stop the game. And, and this is where I sort of think about, I'll make another American football reference in college football. I think that there's so many assistant coaches that there's certain guys who have very specific things that they're supposed to be keyed into. Uh, basketball is the same way. I can remember certain coaches being very attuned to um, how many fouls there were in the game and things like that. I think this is a moment for the Austin FC coaching staff where somebody needed to be attuned to this, to the, to the fact that Matt Beasler was getting checked for a concussion. And if you got to run out on the field and literally scream at the referee to stop the match, that's what you have to do in that situation because they should have been able to, according to the rules, the way that they're written and the way that I, I perceived and understood them after the match on, on Saturday night, Austin should have been able to pause the match while Matt Beasler was assessed. And if he was deemed either unfit to go on or needed to be assessed for longer, they should have been able to put in a sub before the match continued. And that didn't happen. And I think from what we received after the match, it was mostly on Austin FC for not realizing the situation that they were dealt in that moment, which it sounds a little harsh, but I do think that those are the, those are the things that you're getting paid to do, right? You have to have a coach that's that's attuned to that. So that's I thought that was a big moment in the match, and it was a big missed opportunity to have eleven men on the pitch, especially when you know there's a guy waiting to come in the moment you get scored on. And it, that subs a free sub too, right? Like it doesn't count it's against a free the five. Sub. Yeah. It's a free sub because it, it, so if Matt Beasler would have been deemed okay to go, then Freddie Kleeman comes back off the field. Matt Beasler comes on, and and actually the interesting thing about that too is that uh, I guess Vancouver would have an, an opportunity to, to to make an extra sub as yeah, well. Yeah, they, they give the other team an extra sub as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But your question to Josh Wolf in the post game press conference—that's that's what I heard from it as well—is that they didn't. It seemed like the Austin FC coaching staff didn't understand that they were allowed to stop the game there. And so mm-hmm. the refs didn't get that request. So they're just like, okay, play on. We're going to keep going. Uh, so after that, the Vancouver goal, Freddie Kleeman finally comes on. I was honestly thinking like, okay, if Beasler comes off, it was like that back five setup was already not looking great. Austin <sighs> FC already looked a little shaky. And I was like, 
Okay, here's a chance to fix it. Let's put on Musajite for Matt Beasler and just go back to four at the back. But that's an uh, interesting put on, thought. Yeah, put on Cle- because Jite and Stroud were already warming. Yeah. They were they were standing on the sideline like ready to go about the 65th minute somewhere around there, and so. Um, I was thinking like maybe he'll back out of it and go there. And I, and then again, I was thinking, okay, all three of those guys are going to come at the same time, but Kleeman comes on and Gta and Stroud don't come on for another few minutes after that. So I guess he, maybe they just wanted to reassess after losing that player, what they were going to do. But, um, Gta and Stroud finally come on at the 74th minute, but, uh, Sebastian Driussi gets subbed off as well, which I was a little upset about in the moment because Driussi was was kind of being the spark of a lot of what Austin FC was doing. And if we want to see the best of what Gite can do, we need to see Driussi on the field at the same time. But you were able yeah. to get uh, – I don't know if it was you. that I think Phil West asked this question in the, in the press conference. But Wolf essentially said that, G, uh, that Driussi was cramping and had asked – to be taken off. So right. that not necessarily a tactical tactical switch or even resting him. He just said like, I'm, I'm done. Which if you've ever played on, on turf before, even if it's indoor and again, these guys are better athletes than we are, but I can see being, being a little bit uh, spent after, after playing as hard as he did for 70, 75 minutes at that point. Um, but it is unfortunate what you're saying that you don't get a chance to get, all the best players on the field at the same time, which is a bit of that FC Dallas argument that we had earlier on and we don't need to get back into, but yeah, I mean, eventually we'll see Gite in with these guys and we'll get to know what that's going to be like, but we didn't get into this match. And I think that, you know, I'm not sure it would have made a difference in the result, but certainly Austin would have had more firepower to work with going after, going after a winner there. Yeah. I mean, Austin really did struggle to keep the ball essentially for the rest of the game. I think they had a couple of, of half chances after that, but, um, didn't really get a lot of like long stretches of useful possession. And I think having Drewsy on there would have helped that. Um, but so the next, uh, the next moment I wanted to mention was in the 78th minute, Caicedo gets in behind the back line and transition and tries to chip Stuver as Stuver's like coming out to, to confront him. Cascante sprints back behind Stuver and clears it off the line and so I think he kind of uh, owed owed Stuver one from forcing him <laughs> to make that double save earlier. So he kind of saved Stuver's bacon there. But uh, a few minutes later, Vancouver scored their second goal. There's a throw in on the the far sideline. Romagna sees it and is attacking the ball and just straight up misses it, just whiffs the ball. And so it falls to... Um, I can't remember who had the ball out there, but uh, it falls to a Vancouver player. They cut it back to the top of the box to um, to Gauld, to Ryan Gauld. He puts a shot on target. Stuver is able to dive over and get a hand to it, but the the save shot falls right to Caicedo, and Caicedo buries it. Adrian Healy and Michael Hood were being a little bit harsh on um, on Brad Stuver for that save. Do you think that's fair? I, I feel like that is not, if I was going to go after one player there, it's not going to be Brad Stuver. <laughs> yeah. Look, I mean, Johan Romagna obviously needs to do better in that moment to, to stop the, the, the Vancouver player from getting past him. But I do think that, you know, if we're going to praise Stuver for every 
great play he he he's made in this season. I I do think that if you're watching that back and and from a from a from a goalkeeper's perspective, I think that you for the position that he was in, he made it he made a nice save. I think you want to maybe be a little bit stronger with the risk of getting it a little further out. But again, I, I wasn't a goalkeeper, and and I'll, I'll let goalkeepers and goalkeepers coaches make uh, make the final judgment on that. But yeah, I mean, maybe he could have done a little bit better on it, but the whole last 30 minutes is not on Brad Stuver or Johan Romagna, right? Like it's, it's on Josh Wolf. And, and, and that's, that's the part that I think that we all have to be sort of honest and transparent about is that these players were not put in a position to, to win this game because they didn't play to win the game. They played to hold on to the game. Yeah. So I, I kind of cut you off earlier uh, to, to save some discussion for, for that, that exact point. And Wolf's reasoning for making that change was that they were getting into wide areas. Watching it back, I feel like making that switch didn't stop them from getting into wide areas because it was a back five, but the the fullbacks, um, Jimenez and Lima, were pushing up, like pushing up to to confront the wingers, and then players were running into the spaces they left behind, leaving Matt Beasler and Johan Romagna one on one on the outside, essentially. That's that's Whereas, one part of it. That's one part of it, right? And and the other part of it, I think, is is where you have to sort of take the good with the bad, and the fact that those two moments that we're talking about with Caicedo and, and Ryan Gold that that were in wide areas that Josh Wolf was maybe concerned about came after Austin was in promising attacking positions, and this is where I have a a. a, a a hard time with the people that want to change systems. They want to not play the the way that Josh Wolf wants to play. And honestly, I think that in this moment, Josh Wolf gave in to that feeling. He gave in to not wanting to play the way that he wants to play. And he talks a lot about being brave, being, you know, taking on those moments when you need to make a play. And in this moment, he, you know, it's do as I say, not as I do. And and I think that that's a part where I think we need to see some growth from Josh Wolf in that if he's going to expect his players to take on teams in this way, then he needs to do it himself. And, and in this moment, they were close to pinching a second goal that would have put this game away. And yes, maybe they get hit on a counter, but they still have the attacking pieces to go after the game. And when they got hit with that equalizer, they did not have the pieces in place because they were set up in a defensive mode. Uh, and as you heard, you know, um, Sebastian Drusi was, was waning in his energy. I think if you pinch a goal before the 70th minute, when they got scored on, I think that we're having a different conversation and that Josh Wolf got this game right tactically. And instead he sort of second guessed himself. And I think that that is ultimately the first moment where I feel not that I think that Josh Wolf should be out at the end of the season, because I still think that he's going to make it to the end of the season and even beyond, but I think this is the first moment where this is this is a coach who, who made some mistakes that he's got to answer to at this point. Um, and that's I guess that's my feeling coming out of this Vancouver match is that if he wants to play this style and he wants to go after games and play offensive, that is I, I, I applaud that. And I think that I've stuck up for him in a number of different scenarios, but in this case, similar to in Kansas city, when we said a similar thing, when, when Alex ring went off and, and the team was playing well, then maybe you don't go to a back five. This was a situation where they had a low, all other men on the pitch and they were playing well. They were, they had their throat on the game and, and instead he decided to sit back 
and absorb pressure. And, and this team does not do well absorbing, absorbing, absorbing pressure. That's not the way they were built. Yeah, I know, Landon, you talked about uh, us not doing a lot with the ball after set for the 74th minute when Juicy and Cecilia came off and just looked like we actually only had one shot after that point. It was a 85th minute shot from Pochettino that was not very threatening. And I think, Chris, so you wrote an article about this too, right? Is that your tinkering for the sake of tinkering article? Yeah, listen, uh, that, I played a lot of golf. That. I played a lot of golf this week. Uh, I took my clubs <laughs> up to Vancouver, and uh, it's one of my vices. And and uh, you know, feel how you will about golf. But uh, Josh Wolf, I, I've heard, I've heard. I haven't played with him yet or, or seen his golf game or golf swing. But I've heard that that he's a pretty good golfer. I I can. Uh, I can hack it myself. Okay. Um, and one thing that I've found with good golfers, and I even uh, talked about this plenty on my golf rounds this week is that we're all sort of masochists and we all, um, like to, to tinker, right? So, you know, even Tiger Woods, the greatest golfer of our generation, he got to the top of the mountain and he said, Oh, I need to change my swing. And I think this was a moment where Josh Wolf got a little bit caught in his own mindset and his own, uh, maybe I shouldn't go that this start far down this path, but look, listen, we know that he likes golf. We know that he likes to tinker with lineup decisions. And I think at this moment he got caught a little bit in seeing one thing that could be fixed and just deciding to go in all, all in on it instead of the seeing, seeing the things that are going right. And just continuing down that path, which is, I think any golfer can sort of, um, relate to. So, yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, Josh, if, 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 if you're listening to this, same as soon as I put in the story, if you were reading that, um, standing invitation to come play at forest Creek, we'll hash this all out over a couple of beers. It'll be all, all off the record. And, uh, um, you know, uh, I'd love to, to see, uh, sort of that golf brain at work on the golf course. But I think that the difference between golf and soccer, right. And, th- and this is the other thing that I wrote is that in golf, when you make those mistakes, you chink tinker with something you shouldn't have, you beat yourself up you walk away and you're the only person that's affected by that decision. In this case, there were 10, 11 men on the pitch um, who were trying to sort of play out this thought that Josh Wolf had of, Oh, I need to fix this. And meanwhile, he strayed from the, the, the game plan that was delivered to them pregame. So I think that that's a little something that, that I'm going to be watching for going forward is how these guys respond to him and, and how he sort of maybe, pulls himself back in some of those moments when he sees something that maybe on paper is the fix, but it's harder to implement. It's not like you get a timeout in basketball where you get to get everybody on the same page. Hey, we're changing defense. You don't get that moment in soccer, right? You you have to, everybody's got to be on the same page instantaneously when you make that switch. And I, I just didn't see it. Maybe, maybe you guys saw something different than I did, but I did, I I did not see 11 players that were working on the same page uh, after that, that, Romagna switch and meanwhile they, they were definitely on the same page prior to that so I'm I'm definitely not a golfer but Josh Wolf dresses like he's good at golf if that makes sense <laughs> <laughs> um, he's a white man over 40 I don't know what you want from us uh, I mean I'm not over 40 <laughs> yet but I'm nearing into my 30s and I live in the suburbs so I, I, I think I'm just playing the part at this point unfortunately <laughs> um, did you have any more questions Jeremiah before we wrap up no, I think um well I think we can hit on some of the the post game stuff um specifically Oh, I want to know Chris's opinion on a couple things, I guess. Um one is I feel like the people who were sort of on the fence on this whole wolf in wolf out, wolf whatever thing, like I feel like this is a in the same way that sometimes 
Landon and I did like four weeks in a row where we were like, oh, this is the worst game yet, and this is the worst show yet. But I feel like there's a significant portion of, of folks who are kind of on the fence or whatever who are like hashtag wolf out now. Like, do you do you, do you see that reaction? Do you agree with that, or you know, what do you think about what what we've seen? The immediate thing that pops into the head is the Twitter poll that I put out Saturday night um, as I was sort of having a conversation with Roma about these very topics and uh, Roma Desai, the legend, at 22 for 22. She made it up to Vancouver after a couple of different scares with her passport and not with COVID itself, but with, you know, getting a COVID test in time. Um, but anyway, yeah, maybe the way I framed it sort of sort of uh, was a bit slanted in the fact that, but I do believe this in a certain sense is that I think that Josh Wolf has good, a good football mind. And I think that eventually he's going to line that up with being a good leader. Right. And so I think that it's not unreasonable to think that in his third season as a head coach, he might be a successful MLS head coach. And that's sort of what I was proposing. It was a hypothetical of if in his third season, Josh Wolf was a successful MLS head coach, and you know that now, but next year and the rest of the season are continued going to continue to be struggles. You don't make the playoffs until year three. You cut bait, you know, you cut ties, or do you stick it out? And I, I was surprised. Uh, I think it was about 65-35 on the stick it out. So I don't know that people are as negative. I think the people that are vocal are negative, but that's that's Twitter yeah, in general. I, I, so that's I guess the, there's there's not many people at this point who are enthusiastically hashtag hashtag wolf in. Right. And so there's probably a lot more people thinking like, yeah, like it's not great, but we think he's going to be good one day or like, he's just going to learn from these mistakes and he'll be a good coach eventually. And this is kind of what we signed up for in hiring a, a first year head coach, but nobody's, nobody's tweeting that necessarily. It's the, you, you see the, the vocal angry people but yeah i i was interested to see that number from that poll you ran to chris but um but yeah that, that's that's essentially my message to those people is that like we're angry but i feel like austin fc ownership knew that this is what they're getting into and to a certain extent yes yeah yeah i, I, mean, I don't they, i don't think that anybody even the most pessimistic pessimistic um Austin FC observer when they built this roster and they hired Josh Wolf and Claudia Arena didn't think that they would be in the spot that they're in right now. Right. And so yeah, there are some I mean, people that need to answer some questions. Right. But I don't think that that means you need to blow the whole thing up. That, that's, yeah, I'm, that's my own opinion, but I follow. I, I should have, I should have been while. more specific there. I'm, what I'm saying is that with a first year head coach, they're going to make mistakes mm-hmm. and they're going to have some like learning opportunities that they're going to have to move forward from. That's the part that I think that they knew they were signing up for. And so they're like, because they, they hired a first year head coach, I don't think they're going to then go back and say like, never mind, we're going to fire him now. Like, I just don't see that happening unless. I don't think so. And I've I've seen people say that like, oh, he's lost the locker room. These guys aren't fighting for him. And I like, until we see actual evidence of that, I'm not going to buy into that narrative. Like, Watching a guy like how a guy holds his shoulders on the field, or like how one guy maybe didn't put in the best effort in a certain game, it's not evidence of of losing a locker room or guys not fighting for the team. And I've not seen evidence of like in in, in interviews with players and in interviews with the coach, in the way that the players 
interact with each other, the way they interact with Wolf, I've not seen evidence of that happening. And until we do start seeing that evidence or it, it is evident that the team is not trying, they're not even trying to win games anymore. I, yeah. I, I, I can't get behind firing Josh Wolf. I, I, yeah, I think that's totally fair. One, I, I think it's a little bit the same. Um, is the people who are ready to like throw out the system because we don't have the players for whatever, right? Like we all know what we signed up for, right? We signed up for a guy in a very specific system. We can't 22 games in. No reasonable person is going to like ditch that and, uh, and try to do anything different. It's the, and it's the same, it's the same with changing coaches. It is a stark contrast though, to look at Vancouver, right? Because, uh, and that was the first question I had for Corey Basso when I met up with him on, on Thursday morning was like, well, to explain the Mark Dos Santos thing to me, right? Because this guy has been here for a few years and, um, they were in the midst of an eight game unbeaten streak that's now grown to 10 in MLS and, and they, they fired him, right? They, they, they let go of Mark Dos Santos and, and not that the guy has been, you know, he's had a pretty rough tenure, tenure overall. And finally, what the last straw was that, that I learned and really was hammered home to me by people in Vancouver was that they lost in the Canadian championship to the local team, uh, Pacific FC that you just can't do it. And I understand that. Right. But I think if this was an established team and you're two, three years down the road and you're getting the results in the, in the, in the coaching mistakes that you, that you do, that you are right now, I think that it's a different story. And that I think that Josh Wolf would be in, in dire, uh, he he would be worried about having his job going to the Houston match. Let's put it that way. One hundred percent agree. And yeah, but and this is where I think that some fans get caught up, and even myself, sort sort of, I start to question a little bit. Well, Josh Wolf said that we're not going to use expansion as an excuse, right? And expansion teams, we've seen expansion teams have success in this league. So why are we holding him to a different standard? And I think that. That's fair, but I also think that those were naive words that were coming from everybody at the, at the, <laughs> yeah. the front end of this season. That expansion was not going to cause problems, and that you know the fact that this team had you know seven players injured at one point when it, when they don't have an academy and they don't have depth weren't going to make a difference. And this this first year head coach coaching a first year team, not having uh, you know experience with a lot of these guys especially the guys coming from overseas all of those things add up and if you want to blow it up i get it but i don't think that you're ultimately going to be in a better spot just because you fire a coach tomorrow than you are today and so and i'd probably say that nine times out of ten in, in a situation where you know texas football for instance like i think that everybody's always got a quick trigger and a lot of times those are acted upon maybe before it is fair and, and sometimes they work out. And so I could see from a different ownership group, maybe making that move at this moment, but I don't think that this ownership group is going to. And I think that in the end, I still am of the opinion that that'll probably pay dividends for them at some point. Will it be quick enough? We'll find out. All right. One last question before, uh, before we wrap up this segment. Musajite, when do we think he will actually be ready to start a game? I would like to say against Houston. You um, think so? I mean, what was the... So, remind me, Drew C's debut was against Dallas. He played 
30 minutes. Yeah, something like that. And then he started the next one. He started the second right. game. Yeah, he did. But Drusy came out of preseason. Correct. And that's that's Zinit. the difference. But if we're saying that Jitze is ready for 30, and I thought he looked active, he didn't get a lot of touches on the ball because of the, the game state. But I don't know. I guess we'll find out. If it's not this week, then I think it'll probably be next week. But um, they need him, man. They just they need that number nine. And I think if there's any semblance of data that says that this guy's ready to go, I don't know. If I were the coach, I'd probably be be ready to put him in and give him at least sixty from the start rather than forty five from 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 the second half, right? And if he can only go the first forty five, then that's fine. But you might as well get him out there with the starters and see what he can do. Yeah. So Josh Wolf said that he wants to see him in every game for the rest of the season. And Austin FC has three games in, in seven days. Yeah, They're, they're about up, to not so. have a choice, right? Yeah. Cause yeah, they're almost going to, whether he's ready or not, he's going to start here. The, the other thing week. is Mackenzie Gaines didn't make the trip, but uh, last I heard from, from his camp, he he's been training in full um, for a little while. And so I oh, think that's that, good. I think that we should probably see him soon as well. Another freaking striker that, injures themselves signing the contract <laughs> yeah those uh paper cuts can be brutal <laughs> all right chris uh i think we can we can close the vancouver discussion here thanks for joining us um i i we, we've been brainstorming things to do for uh like shows and topics to do for off season and kind of the end of the season so i think we might want to have you back on for some of those but uh yeah in the meantime, we look forward to reading more of your articles and uh, and following the Austin FC journey with you. Yeah, thanks so much. It's been uh, great to get you to to know you guys through this, and you guys obviously do great work. And hopefully, everybody that's listening is subscribed to the Striker. But if you're not, you know, check it out. Thirty days free, and um, you know, I think you'll find something a little bit different, even than you than you get here on Moon Tower. Not to to toot my own horn, but I, I do think that, that we provide something different and, and, uh, we're complimentary, not, not competitive. So oh, absolutely. Just, we, we just would, know that if would... you, if you support moon tower, then you should support the striker Texas as well. Uh, we would never pretend to do the same kind of work that you do, Chris. <laughs> same here. Same here. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks, man. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, thanks. Chris. I ain't got no time. Chris, one more time for joining us. Jeremiah, let's jump into a quick preview of the upcoming Houston Dynamo game. So I feel like we probably don't need to talk a ton about Houston. We just played them. Uh, they are chasing a record, though, that they weren't quite as close to last time we played them, which is I think they've gone 16 games without a win. Uh, we just looked it up during the break that the record for MLS was in 1999 by the New York, New Jersey Metro stars. And it was 19 games without a win. So I'm hoping we can send Houston one step closer to that record. But given how the last few games have gone, I am not going to have any expectations that that's going to happen. Yeah. I have no confidence in anything at all. So I believe we, we would have been the, what the 14th, I think in a row um, in that series. Yes. That, yeah, that seems right. If I remember that, yeah. So we we sit 
again, if you turn your phone upside down, Texas is doing really, really well on the table. But uh, we, yeah, we sit both on 19 points, but I guess Austin's played one fewer game. Um, you know, now six points behind Dallas in 11th. So the, we're beginning to separate ourselves from the rest of the league um, along with Houston in a bad way. Yeah, absolutely. I think whoever loses this game, and honestly, probably even with the tie, if we tie, I think both teams can definitely not even think about playoffs anymore. That's probably the case now, realistically speaking, but there is still like of an outlier's chance of one of these teams winning this game this weekend and then going on a run and getting close to it. Um, but yeah, the loser of this game is almost definitely not going to get anywhere close to the playoff line. Um, as far as players on this team, so you remember they got a red card last time. So I don't know that we can necessarily look forward to only playing against 10 men for a big chunk of the game. But also Maxi Uruti, who I think has been out for a few games now, is I think he played in the last two games. And so he should be back up top for them, which he's not always consistent, but on his day can be really dangerous. Uh, another player who got some minutes in the last game was Darwin Quintero, who I think he's gotten like 230 minutes this entire season. And he played, I think he played 41 minutes the other day against Portland. That's the longest stretch in a single game since last sep or sorry, last November for Darwin Quintero, who is, he's still a, a DP. Is that right, Jeremiah? Yeah, he's, he's one of their DPs and he... Before the season started, I think maybe both on the Striker Texas podcast and um, I think it was one of the shows we had both the Chris's on. We talked about sort of the most dangerous players in Texas and talked about him being maybe like, you know, on a career basis, he's has one of the most successful careers of anybody playing on a Texas team in MLS. But he has definitely fallen out of favor um, in Houston with whatever's going on down there in that in that conversation. My reason, like one thing I said about Darren Quintero was essentially like in a 45 minute stretch, if you can pick one player that who's the most talented player in Texas, I'm going to say Darren Quintero, but I would not pick him to be on my team because he's shown over the last several years that you can't really rely on him to either show up every time or to get along with the coach or to do whatever, because he fell out with Adrian Heath in Minnesota as well. And so I would, if I were a GM, I would not go anywhere near Darwin Quintero because something's clearly not going right. Maybe it's not all his fault, but there's there's a pattern at this point. Yeah, yeah, definitely well established pattern. And so you know, like you said, you never know, never know what to expect. I, I'm not going to get my hopes up too much about it. And you know, Rudy, the thing about him is, you know, he was the one in the preseason match that got everybody exceptionally worried about Julio Cascante, I think. If no, I that, was right. fa- that was Fafa Pico. Oh, that was Pico. Was okay, okay. Very fast also. <laughs> yeah, okay, gotcha. Right, wrong But I think Aruti did score against us in that game. Yeah, I feel, um, yeah, I feel, but, like, I feel like he scored, but yeah, you're right. He wasn't the one that, that, that ran down the side and really made Cascante look bad. Yeah, so there's uh, going to be an, another sizable group of Austin fans going down to uh, Houston. I think it's probably a couple hundred at, that, yeah, at, le- at this point. Yeah, it's at least a couple hundred at this point. You can still buy tickets. It's $36 for a ticket uh, just for the game, and then 46 if you want to ride the Austin FC bus 
down, which I think leaves around noon. Uh, it's kind of the same with Dallas. Leaves around noon. Um, go to the match. Ro- load back up afterwards. There is a stop at Bucky somewhere at some point. I've heard, and then uh, and come back that night. The difference being this bus is only Austin FC uh, is doing it, and so it's twenty one up. But there's free booze on the bus, so um, you know, go down and do that. You know, I think we've both traveled with Austin FC fans and have had a good time, regardless of how the team does. I'm gonna go gonna go down and do this one separately. So I'm gonna take my 12 year old to the Johnson Space Center um, that morning, which he's really excited nice. about, and then we're gonna check out some museums and libraries, and then go to the bar and go to the game. So it's a great chance to have a good time with some some friends that are Austin FC fans, and also it's probably a pretty good shot that we you know it should be competitive at least you know if you're going to look for a game where um where you might get a positive outcome this is this may be one the museums in houston are great and i think i'm just realizing that probably my favorite parts of the museums we went to in houston are also going to be your son's favorite parts of the museums <laughs> in houston great. which is like spaceships and dinosaurs <laughs> Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's the that's the museum we're going to hit for sure. They've got like a natural history museum or something like that. That's going to be it's one fa- of our on, it's one fantastic. of our list. Yeah. Like you'll you'll like it as much as as he will. And so yeah, highly recommended. All right. So another Austin FC news. Uh, this was the first weekend that UT football had a game on the same day as Austin FC. They were in different cities and at di- slightly different times. But um, does this Did we learn anything from that? I don't know that it really means anything until we see them both play in the city at the same time, don't you think? Yeah, I think the, uh, I believe September 18th is when they both play in Austin. Okay. uh, And maybe even close to the same time. And, you know, so I don't think we did learn anything. I felt like the local media tried really, really hard to make it like a competition and tried to make it, you know, oh, fans, you've got to choose one or the other. And I don't know that there's really that much of an overlap, you know, among the diehards and those fan bases. And I think back to this trip I took to Atlanta, uh, like three years ago. And they, and they talked about the, you know, NFL, cause obviously the Falcons and the Atlanta United play in the same building. And at that point in time, what they said was the, the season ticket holder overlap was like 3% between oh, wow. Atlanta United and the Falcons. Like I would have thought that it would just be like, Oh, people love one, you know, they're like sports fans. And so they like this sport. They're going to get tickets for this sport too. Um, but I, I don't know if it'll be as much of a direct, um, you know, one of the other things people think. I mean, it'll affect me, right? Because we're season ticket holders for both. But I, I think there's a lot of people that it, it, it they won't it won't be a big choice. What do you think? No, I I think in the stadium, you will probably not know at either one that there's another game going on. Um, I would imagine maybe on TV that like ratings take a hit there, where there's some people like if there's not anything else on they'll watch the Austin FC game. But if the UT game is on at the same time, maybe they would choose that. But that, I mean, there are like anecdotally, I can think of a few folks who will be a little bit torn. Uh, Derek Ensign, I know he goes to like pretty religiously to UT football games. Uh, you you go to UT football games pretty regularly, don't you? Right, right. Oh, we are season ticket holders for UT. So my parents on, I'm pretty sure it's on the 18th. My mom and dad will be going to the UT game and I'll be going to the Austin game, Austin FC game. Now my, my friend Ramon, who I meet up at the games with, he he I think he goes UT football pretty regularly. So there are people, but it's like you said, like the crossover is probably not so big. And then also Austin FC Stadium is just not that big and there's a really high demand for it. And so there's a ton of people who are very interested in coming to those games that 
couldn't give two craps about University of Texas. Well, and it's also, I did look it up, Texas hosts Rice, so hopefully it'll be a blowout if you're a Texas fan. So like if you're, if you're, <laughs> if you're in the TV audience, you know, hopefully Texas will have a good lead at halftime. You'll be able to switch it over to Austin FC, even if that's your first choice. All right. One other little piece of Austin FC news I wanted to cover was that the Academy has started back up. They had their first games over this last weekend. Uh, we've talked about this before, but as a reminder, this is kind of a new, a new look for the Austin FC Academy in that they have two new age groups. So the U17 has been added to the top end and then the U12 group has been added to the bottom end. And so one notable addition to the new U15 group uh, has the last name Reyna, Joe Arena, who was playing in the NYCFC Academy last year and is the son of, uh, of Claudio Arena and the brother of Giovanni Reyna. So I was kind of hoping that maybe we would get him into the academy. I've kind of figured maybe they would stay through the end of uh, like their playing season. He has a uh, a daughter as well, who I believe is younger than Joa. And I imagine they're finishing school, playing sports, doing whatever. And as soon as that school season was over, they would move them down here and put Joa in our academy. That was a guess up until very recently, but we have confirmation that Joa is in the academy. So here's to hoping that he's anywhere near as good as Gio. <laughs> Yeah, that'd be a real fine. And they they had a good opening weekend. So they played the 13, it's the 13, U13, U14, U15, and U17 all played against Rise and they all picked up victories. You know, the 17's interesting because it's getting close to 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 having players who we might see at least train with a big club, you know? I mean, that's one of the things we talked about with with Chris Bills about expansion is you know, not having not having academy players to call on, but you can see them finally getting a group that's getting closer and closer to being able to provide some amount of cover. And there's there's as old as the Seattle kids, um, who yeah. who played against us, older in some cases, but yeah, I'm I'm very interested to see what this U17 team looks like because the kids who were in the Austin FC Academy last season, they'll all be if we had a U16 team, they would all fall into that category, but. The, there's some new some new guys that they've brought in from uh, like the Barca Academy here in Austin. Some guys from San Antonio FC, which is uh, that's kind of an interesting dynamic there that they're they're getting guys from there, and uh, RGV, some other teams, one from Michigan apparently. Um, but like I don't I don't know what age group these guys fall into, and like if they're going to step in and be as good or better than some of the the current players or if they'll take some time to, to bed in there, but you're right. It's, it's one step closer to seeing, seeing these guys step into that first team. I think the reason that it, for the reason that it is kind of a blended team and they won't have played together as, as much this season that maybe we wouldn't see any of these newer guys being called in, uh, or maybe a, a lower chance of seeing some of these new guys, getting called into to first team training or anything like that. But there's a few guys on that last year's U15 team that are now going to be on the U17 team that maybe would be ready to get looks this year, but definitely a year from now, I think there's a couple of them that could maybe be homegrown signings even and, and get contracts to play for that first team. Yeah. It's another, uh, one more reason why the future is brighter for Austin FC than it is right now, which is probably, it's probably a good time to end the show. Like on a, <laughs> on a happy-ish and high note. 
We'd like to remind you to rate and review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you would like to continue the soccer conversation, you can find us on Twitter at LVAHero87 and jbentley underscore ATX and then at Moon Tower Soccer on Twitter and Instagram. Um, you can also go to the Striker Texas website where you can find those articles we were talking about with Chris Bills. There's also some some fun stuff from from Phil West and then uh, some other non non MLS specific stuff as well being being put up on there. So lots of good content there. Support your local journalists. Thanks so much for listening this week. We'll be back in one week with a new episode of Moon Tower Soccer where we will review the Houston Dynamo match. And then we'll preview the two games the following week, which is going to be LAFC on Wednesday and San Jose that weekend. And then we'll cover any other Austin FC news that comes along. Until then, I'm Landon Cottom. I'm Jeremiah Bentley. We'll catch you next time. When no one is around.